Well, good morning. If we haven't met yet, I'm, uh, my name's Hans. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you here. I just want to um, just say one thing about a fresh look. Um, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on staff. Uh, I've been going over the last few, few nights. It is the best evangelistic course that I've ever been a part of, right? So if you're wondering whether it will be embarrassing to bring your friends the next time we run it, uh, have no fear. It is phenomenal. Tim actually came to me and said, oh, I think we're not, we're, um, we're stopping running Introducing Jesus, which is, which I thought was the best course ever made because I, I created it. And uh, we're going to run something else. And I said, well, it'll be better. And he's uh, made something that's infinitely better. So, so make sure next time we run it, pray for your friends, invite them along. They'll have a great time. You'll have a great time too. But we're going to look at um, Galatians 4, 1 to 7 today. Uh, so make sure you have that in your Bibles open and let's pray. Father God, I pray that we would be filled with joy as we encounter you in your word today. I pray that today that you would help us to see who we, are, we truly are, but also who we're not. And, and that identity would not just be something that fills our heads, changes our minds, but will grip our hearts. And so as we, as we think about who we are in you, I pray once again that you would fill us with joy. Amen. I wonder if you remember the first disco or dance or social or whatever you call it uh, back in the day. I, I, can, I can still remember mine. It was the start of year seven. And uh, there was something that happened at the start of year seven where, we, where all the boys were thinking about girls for the first time ever. And so we had this weird conversation for 12 or 13 year old boys. We were like, have you figured out what you were going to wear? And, and we did. And we, we wore our best clothes. I wore my my best Ninja Turtles t-shirt, and uh, I had these 26 red shorts that went down, way down here, and, and uh, I, I had my best pair of Lynx pumps because my parents were too poor to buy me Reebok pumps, so they bought me Lynx pumps. And uh, so, so there's that, and I had my hair spiked up with like half a tub of gel in there. And uh, I was at the dance, and me and, me and my mate Ben, we, we were standing there, and we had this thing that... that if a particular song came on and we hadn't danced with a girl, we were going to go our separate ways and dance with a girl, and that particular song came on, you're probably going, well, what's that song? It was um, Boom Shake the Room by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Remember that? Some of you guys remember that song? And anyway, song came on, Ben went one way, I went the other, we wished each other luck. And there were six girls standing in line in my year, and I said, oh, I said to the first one, would you like to dance? And she said, no. And I, I said to the second one, would you like a dance? No. Went to the third one, would you like a dance? No. And you can hear, imagine how it went, right? I went to the last one, and I just tried to dance in front of her, and she went, oh, like this, and just walked away. And I went back to where I was meant to be standing, kind of heartbroken, dejected. Ben was already there, and he said, how did you go? I said, I asked six girls, and they said no. I said, how did you go? And he said, with tears in his eyes, a girl said, what's the effect of... Don't even bother asking, you're not good enough. Don't even bother asking, you're not good enough. I want to ask you today, as you think about God, is God like that? Does he say to you, you're not good enough? I will only accept you if you reach a certain point. 
a certain point of theological knowledge or a certain point of godliness or a certain point of, of, of service or something like that. Because I dare say that there's a bunch of us, both who are Christians and not, thinking that God goes, hey, you've got to reach a certain standard. Or another way of coming at this question is this. When you think of your relationship to God, do you think you are a son or daughter or a slave? Do you think of yourself as a son or daughter or a slave? Now, now it's one thing to think it. It's one thing to think that you're a certain thing. It's another thing to feel it. I dare say, for so many of us here, we've got our theology together, and you would say, well, well, I know, I know I'm a son or a daughter, but I wonder if you feel that, or do you feel like you've got to do and do and do? See, today we're going to look at, look at those two options, son or daughter or slave. And we're going to see who, if you follow Jesus, who you truly are. And, and as we look at, at, at this uh, this passage, we're going to see three not long but very appropriately length points, right? Okay, three very appropriately length, they're not long. Liz was wrong. Here are the three points. We're seeing a great weight, a great turnaround, and a great blessing. A great weight, a great turnaround, and a great blessing. Let's have a look at the first one, a great weight. Now, I want to put this into the context of Galatians. Galatians is written by Paul to the church in Galatia, right? And the problem with the church in Galatia is there's a bunch of people who are coming in who are saying, hey, um, Galatians, I'm glad you follow Jesus, but Jesus is not enough. You've got to be circumcised too for God to accept you. And Paul is refuting that. Paul is saying, no, Jesus is enough. And if you add to the gospel, you're actually taking away from it. If you say Jesus and, he said, you're actually taking away from the gospel and taking away from what Jesus has done. And not only that, you are throwing people into confusion and you are destroying any assurance they've got. Now, now one of the things you've got to realize about me is I, I, I don't like maths at all. You, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking forward to the day when uh, my kids come home and they say, Dad, can you help us with our quadratic equations? Because I'll have to say, I don't know what that is, right? So I'm not a math guy, but I'll tell you my favorite math formula. That's, and, and this math formula is at the heart of Galatians. Here it is. My favorite math formula is this. The gospel plus is always the gospel minus. The gospel plus is always the gospel minus. If you add anything to the gospel, you're actually taking away from it. And and that mathematical equation, that theological mathematical equation, is at the heart of Galatians. If you add to the gospel, you're always taking away from it. The gospel plus is always the gospel minus. So so that's a bit of context to the the book of Galatians. So let's have a look at this great weight. Have a look at verse 1 with me of chapter 4, Galatians 4. What I, what I am saying is that as long as the heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. What Paul is saying here is, is he's using an analogy. Back in his day, that the, 
a son or daughter had the same rights as a slave until there was a time when that son or daughter came of age. He was given responsibility. And so he's on the same level. And there's a sense in which he is saying, well, you are subject to guardians and trustees. But but he goes on. Have a look at verse 3. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. He said, he's t- talking the, telling the Galatians, and he's talking to all of us, that before we came of age, and we're going to see what that looks like, coming of age means, we were what? We were under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. I think what Paul is saying here is this, That the elemental spiritual forces of the world is a way of him saying kind of like the spiritual forces of the world, but he's saying somehow they use that to put you under slavery. In Galatians and in Paul's letters, the slavery that we have when it comes to our salvation is either slavery to sin, slavery to Christ, or here I think he's talking about slavery to the law. Because the book of Galatians is all about everyone, a bunch of people saying, you've got to be saved and do the law also. And he's saying, don't you realize this is slavery? He's saying, don't you realize you are basically enslaved to the law? Now, now here's the thing. So many of us will, will go, well, well hands, um, I know I'm not. I don't have to do the law to be saved. I, I know that. But if you feel like you have to do, do, do to keep up appearances or to please God or something like that, you're under the same slavery. You you may call it a different name. It may not be the slavery to the Mosaic law, but the, the law that you think is operating in a Christian community or the Christian community that you grew up in. But slavery nonetheless... I was down in Canberra this week and I was talking to, to a guy who was at, at a church. I went down and spoke at St. Mount Swaniassa and, and this guy came from a church and he said, one of the things at this church is I felt like I was enslaved. And I was like, why is that? He goes, because they had rules for everything. And, he go, and I said, like, who told you about these rules? He goes, no, 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 no. These rules were kind of unspoken, right? There were things about how you should dress and how you shouldn't dress and how your, uh, you know, what kind of jobs that you could have and have and, and what kind of TV shows you could watch. He, he said that there were rules around, you know, what uh, cups and sauces you could use for what particular things. And he goes, you had to fit into this box. And he, and he said it was so oppressive it felt like slavery. I remember speaking to another girl who came here for a bit. She, uh, she at a previous church, was doing all this serving. She was serving in the youth group and she was serving on Sunday morning, doing a bunch of, a bunch of stuff for the kids' church and she was serving on music at night and she was running a, a Bible study and she was working full-time and she just was doing so, so much. And then she... She decided to leave that church. She moved into our area. And she said she needed a break from that. And she hasn't actually landed in a church. She would call us our church, 
but if she rocked up here, you guys would think she's new because she comes about twice a year. And when I ask her, I ask her, why were you doing all this? She goes, because I just felt like it was expected of me. And I felt like I was serving and serving to actually, you know, serve the community, but it was expected. And I couldn't say no. And it felt like a huge weight on my shoulders that was living up to these things. You see, but if you went back to her and you said, oh, don't you know you're, you're not a slave? She would go, oh, of course I know that. But I felt something totally different. And this is so significant. See, the thing is, if, if we're from a more of a traditional culture, one of the things in traditional cultures is there is a big, big thing of honouring your parents. You work and you live your lives to honour your parents. So, you, so what we do if we're in traditional culture, generally, we f- there is a weight there. Because we're not living the good moral lives that we're living because of thankfulness, but because of this cultural pressure. Then we come to church or to God, and we, we just feel or we act towards God the same way we act towards our parents. I've got to do this for God's honor and glory. And there's something true to that. But actually, that can feel very, very, very enslaving. And just like we, we may act rightly for our parents so that they would praise us maybe or reward us in some way, some of us here act a certain way so that the community around us would praise us, would put us on a place of honour and when we don't get that, we're very, very frustrated. Maybe you're here and you're going, well, I'm not from a traditional culture. Hands, I'm white like you. I'm, a, I'm a fr- from a progressive culture. My family is pretty progressive in this sense. One of the things about the progressive culture is this. We look to the crowd and we think about what the crowd is doing and, and how the crowd wants us to live and wants us to believe. And so even though we may not be, you know, we may not, we may look at traditional culture and go, well, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm just not in that. We're just as bound to progressive culture and the morals there. We keep doing the same thing or tweeting the same things because if we don't, we are cancelled. You, you see, when it comes to morality, it doesn't matter whether you're really traditional and conservative or progressive. There can be such a distortion in our morals that we can feel trapped or enslaved. We've got to keep doing and doing and doing and doing. And so when it comes to church, we feel like God is saying, you have to do all these things out of duty or obligation, and then I will love you. But that is not the gospel. That is religion. Religion says, I give God a good moral record, so he has to bless me. Just like if I'm working for my parents' approval, I give them a good life and they will bless me or if I'm working for the crowd I will work with their morals and they will say you're in we think that God we give God a good moral record then he has to bless me the gospel says God gives me a good moral record through what Jesus has done so I live for him do you see the difference in motivation one says I will work I will serve so God loves me 
The other says, God loves me, so I will serve. I will do the things that I've got to do. Religion says, if I obey, God will love and accept me. The gospel says, God loves me and accepts me, therefore I want to obey. When you think about how you're serving or, or how you're living, do you, what is your motivation for serving or living a moral life? Is it because you are scared that if you don't, that God will not accept you? Therefore, that's religion, not Christianity. The gospel is, God has, Jesus has died for me. And because I love him, because I'm overjoyed in him, I will serve him. What is your motivation for serving at church? What is your motivation for living the life that you live? Is it because of what Jesus has done for you, the gospel? Or is it out of religious obligation motivation? See, and that's why I've called this first point a great weight. To live with this sense that you've got to earn God's love is a huge weight, an exhausting weight. And I'm scared that many of us in this room have that weight on our shoulders. And yet the gospel, in the gospel, that weight is taken away. But there's also a great turnaround. Have a look at verse 4 with me. But when the time set had fully come... God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, Paul uses a weird phrase, when the set time had fully come. Now, now there's so many, uh, you know, reading the commentators this week, uh, they say, well, a lot of them said, well, you know, the, it was the right time for the gospel to come because the Roman world, basically, the Romans had control of the whole world and the gospel could go freely anywhere. Uh, and I think historically and geographically, that's true. But I think what Paul's trying to say is this, that God had a plan. God is not like a spur of the moment, let's do whatever when I feel like type God. No, he is planned. And he had a plan to send Jesus at a particular point in time. And so that's what he did. But did you see who Jesus is? Jesus, he kind of gives a, a portrait of who Jesus is. Have a look once again at verse 5. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Well, we've got to realize that in the gospel, the Savior, Jesus, needs to uh, fit some kind of criteria. He needed to be divine because the cost in redemption would be infinite. Only an infinite God could pay an infinite price. And so that's why he was God's son. The redeemer needed to be human because he was redeeming and representing humans. So that's why he was born of a woman. But he needed to be righteous. He needed to obey God's law perfectly. And so that's why he was born under law. Paul is saying to be the Redeemer, Jesus had the perfect CV. His credentials were absolutely perfect to be the Redeemer. And do you see who is the one that does the action here? It is all God. It is God who sent. God did it. God redeemed God received us 
into our adoption. God is not setting... God is not sitting back waiting for you, waiting for me. God takes the first step and every step in our salvation. The the offended God, the God who we rejected, he was infinite in compassion. He broke the silence and came forth to bless us, his enemies. Can you see how beautiful and how careful and how planned is the grace of God All things begin with him. Your salvation begins and ends with him and him alone. But what did he do? Verse 5 again. He redeemed those who are under the law. The word redeem actually gives this picture of you and I were enslaved under law. The idea is that, uh, that back in Paul's day and before that, there was this idea that I had to do things to be, to be saved. But now he's saying, well, God has actually sent Jesus to pay the price so that now we're no longer under law, but we're adopted as his children. You are no longer a slave, you're a son. You are no longer a slave, but you are a daughter of God. I remember uh, watching a, a, a documentary a couple of years ago, and I can't remember for the life of me who this, who this couple was, but it talked about a couple over in Africa. They're a couple from the United States, and uh, they couldn't have children. But they, uh, they worked very hard. They, they had all this money uh, through investments and that kind of thing. So they went over to, to Africa and they found that there were a lot of children who had no parents that were, living, that were working as slaves in mines. And so what they did is they bought them. They bought them from these, uh, these, their slave owners and they adopted them as children. They gave them the clothing that they needed. They washed them. They cleaned them up. They gave them the medical help that they needed. They fed them. They taught them. That's a beautiful image of what God has done for you. God, through Jesus, has, has bought you, has cleaned you up, has, has, has given you new righteous clothing. You, you are no longer a slave out in a slum. You are a child of God in a palace. That is you today. And so, I wonder if you have taken that on board. I wonder if you form your identity around that idea. Or is your identity formed amongst around things that you can't control or things that can be taken away. Because when God sees you, he sees a son or a daughter. Now, I want you to imagine that couple that, that, that uh, adopted so many of those kids. Uh, imagine if one of the kids, were every, every time after dinner, was, was running around and the, they were cleaning up and everything... And, and, you know, after a while, that, that couple said to that child, they said, why are you running around doing all these things? And with tears in, in his eyes or her eyes, the child says, because I'm scared if I don't keep 
earning your love, you'll send me back. I wonder what they'd say. I think they would say, no, 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 don't don't you realize you are my child. There is nothing that you can do or not do that will make me stop loving you. So you can relax. I wonder, and I dare say that child would serve their parents now, not out of fear, but out of love. Some of us here, even though intellectually we know we are sons or daughters of God, we work and work and work and work. And we serve and we're moral, not because God first loved us, but on our, in our heart we're just thinking, I've got to earn this, I've got to earn this, I've got to have more. Why? Because, they're, because Satan is whispering in our, in our minds, in our ears, saying, keep earning, keep earning, keep earning. So if Satan is not going to make you fall away from Jesus through doing the wrong things, he's going to make you embittered towards Jesus by making you do the right things over and over and over again. And so what we've got to realise is that there has been a huge turnaround in our lives. We are no longer slaves, but we are sons or daughters. And what does this mean? It means a great blessing. Have a a look at verses 6 and 7 with me. Because you are his sons, God sent his spirit, sorry, the spirit of his son into our hearts, the the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. There are three things here I want us to see. God gives you a new intimacy, a new identity, and a new hope. Three things. Let's have a look at a new intimacy. Have a look at verse 6 with me again. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Notice who who, who acts here once again. It's God who sends the spirit. God who sends the son. The The son's purpose was to secure us the legal status of sonship. The Spirit's purpose is to secure the actual experience of it. And what is that actual experience? You now call the God of the universe Dad. Abba is a way of saying Dad back in this day. And there there is a sense in which there's intimacy here. You can cry out, Abba, Father. There's a vulnerability here. See, now in the gospel, God has knocked down every wall between you and God. And so it's no longer this big gap between you and God. Now, you can come into the throne room of heaven and just talk to your heavenly father. I think one of the, the problems in our prayer lives is this. We think... We've got to have this, uh, these measured words, these religious words. We've got to have a, um, a list uh, of things that we're praying for, all this kind of stuff. But just imagine a good father, right? Or imagine an average father. Just imagine maybe my kids, right? I just want my kids to talk to me. 
I just, I don't want my kids just to come to me all the time when they've got a problem or, or you know, or just when they're in, in a, you know, in a bind. I want my, my kids to go, hey, hey, Dad, you know, I, I, you know, with this Rubik's Cube, I, I sold it like this. I'm going, oh, I don't understand anything you said, but I'm, I'm happy that you're happy. God wants the same from you. Just wants you to speak to him, to talk to him. The beautiful thing about the gospel is you can walk into the throne room of the universe, curl up on your heavenly father's lap and talk to him. And you get that through the gospel. See, you know that God will answer us when we call on him because one terrible day he did not answer Jesus when he called. Jesus' prayers were rejected so that you, your prayers and my prayers could one day be accepted. And so therefore we have intimacy through the gospel. But secondly, notice who he is addressing. In verses 4 to 6, he was talking about we, but notice how in 6 and 7, he's talking about you. Since you are his child, he has made you an heir. And why is this so significant? If you realize you're a child of God, here's an implication. You won't fear anything. Because if the God of the universe, who is so powerful, is in your corner, is on your side, what have you to fear? The answer is nothing. The answer is nothing. Some of you guys are scared of talking to your boss why are you scared? It's not because that, that person's got superhuman strength or anything. It is because your view of God is far too small and your view of man is far too big. But if you know that the God of the, who, the, God of the universe, who created the universe, who's all-powerful, is in your corner, well, your boss will shrink down to his right size and you won't be afraid. When I was at Resolved, I was so scared, so scared of people rejecting me or not loving me that one of the reasons, there's many reasons why Resolved, my previous church, didn't get off, up off the ground. We, it was a church plant. It didn't, didn't get to any level of health because I was so, so scared of people either rejecting me or I was scared that they wouldn't love me. And yet, if you know that you are loved by the God of the universe, you've got all the love you need. So why are you afraid of people? It's a bit like this. Uh, about 20 years ago, I was asked by some friends to go and play basketball, and they said, it's a rec league, it's really cool, you'll have a lot of fun. And uh, I, I rocked up to this, to this game, and uh, we hadn't practiced at all. And the other team was up there in layup lines. And I was like, okay, these guys have got it together. I'm a bit scared. And then one of the guys goes, oh, by the way, you're going to play center and you're guarding him. He was about 6'10", 6'11", very thickly muscled. And uh, he wasn't in the layup lines. He was playing with his little daughter. I think they were playing Barbies and he was having a great time. And then he, um, he came on the court and... Uh, he shook my hand and said, well, you know, have a, have a good game. He almost broke my hand. And then he won the tip off. He got the ball uh, down near the hoop 
and then dunked on me, and that's what he did for the whole game. He just destroyed me, right? And he was really nice. If, you know, I fell over, he would be, he would, you know, help me up and say, hey, man, you know, how you going? Are you okay? I said, yeah, 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 actually, and I, that was a lie because I just wanted to run away. And he did that for the whole game. At halftime, he went back to his daughter, just played with his daughter at full time. You know, after destroying me, he slapped me on the back and said, good game, I had a lot of fun, and I've still got a bad back from it. But then he went back to his daughter, right? And he carried his daughter off, and they were having a great time. Here's the thing. Do you think, because of the fact that his daughter had a father like that, she would be scared of anything? No. But you have got a heavenly father that is so more powerful and loves you so with a greater ferocity of love. Why would you be scared of anything? And last point, we have a new hope. Have a look at verse 6 again. Actually, sorry, verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. An heir of what? Jesus, when he died and rose again and he ascended, he ascended back into heaven. That is what you are looking forward to too. And so that gives you great hope that no matter what is happening in your life, you have got the hope of heaven to look forward to. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave you a new intimacy, a new identity, but absolutely a new hope, right? This hope of having eternity with God is is not just pie in the sky when you die. It's not just something that, that you got to look forward to. It's something that animates your life now. Because no matter what you're going through now, the hope of heaven means that your future is brighter than today. And if you know your future is brighter than today, you can live through whatever you are going through. You can even face death with joy. A friend of mine, Ian Powell, told me a story about um, this guy who was dying. He was dying of cancer. And, and you know, he was, he was in his, his hospital bed. And one of the nurses put on, on the notes at the end of his bed, this guy is irresponsibly joyful. But he was just looking forward to going home. See, when you know Jesus has died for you, when you're a Christian, all death can do to you is make your life infinitely better. Because your life in heaven is being is the thing that you're going to. And it's infinitely better than your life now. And so I wonder today, who do you think you are? Is it a slave or a son or daughter? Has your heart been grasped with the idea that you are God's son or daughter, God's child? And therefore you have a new intimacy. You have a new identity. And you have a new hope. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we would have hearts and minds that are filled with this truth. That help us to realize and remember that we are not slaves, but sons or daughters. Help us to remember and realize 
that we have a new intimacy with you, a new identity in you, and a new hope. Help us to live in response to all that you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.